Bonjour à tous, bonjour à toutes. Bienvenue sur le podcast Pacify Your Mind, le podcast qui met le bien-être au cœur de votre mission d'expatrier. Je suis Adeline Torcol et je suis votre hôte sur ce podcast. Ce podcast s'adresse à vous, professionnels expatriés. Grâce à mes invités et à leur partage d'expérience, je souhaite vous donner des conseils pour améliorer votre bien-être. Ce podcast s'adresse également à vous, professionnels des ressources humaines ou managers. Je souhaite vous inspirer dans vos actions de prévention et d'accompagnement de votre personnel expatrié. Cette interview aujourd'hui fait partie d'une série dédiée aux professionnels humanitaires intitulée « Help the Helpers »« Aider les aidants ». J'estime que l'accompagnement en termes de santé mentale des humanitaires est aussi importante que l'accompagnement donné aux bénéficiaires de l'aide humanitaire. Pour en parler aujourd'hui, je suis ravie d'accueillir Gabriel Carlson. Quand je lui ai proposé cette interview, il a tout de suite accepté. Au-delà de partager sa propre expérience humanitaire, il y a surtout chez lui le besoin vital de communiquer des messages de prévention à l'encontre des jeunes professionnels humanitaires. Ces cinq dernières années, il a travaillé comme chargé de la sécurité des opérations humanitaires pour la Croix-Rouge internationale au Yémen, puis en Libye. Il travaille actuellement à Bagdad, dans son pays d'origine, pour l'organisation suédoise en charge de la protection des civils et de leur sécurité dans des zones à haut risque. Nous parlons ici de son engagement humanitaire comme processus de guérison, ses valeurs fortes, les risques encourus pour sa propre santé mentale et les enseignements qu'il tire de ses différentes expériences de terrain. Comme il le dit si bien, les humanitaires agissent comme des pompiers sur le terrain. Soulager la souffrance des personnes sans endommager sa propre santé mentale. Tel est ce jeu d'équilibriste intense qui se joue chaque jour pour ces hommes et femmes engagés comme lui sur le terrain. Je tiens à le remercier chaleureusement pour la confiance qu'il m'a donnée pour cette interview qui a été enregistrée entre Bagdad et Bruxelles. Cet entretien a été réalisé en anglais. Un résumé en français sera proposé à la fin de l'interview. Bonne écoute Welcome, Gabriel, to this new episode of Pacify Your Mind podcast. Many thanks for being with us today. You are calling from Baghdad, where you are presently working for the Swedish Contingencies Agency. My first question to you is like, could you please explain to us in few words what does your work consist of here in, in Baghdad? Uh, well, thank you, Adeline, and thank you for having me. It's absolutely a, a pleasure to be with you. And uh, thank you for giving me a voice to, to share my my personal experience working in the field of uh, of the humanitarian world and uh, yes as you said i am the head of operations for the swedish civil contingencies agency uh, in iraq we are working together with the iraqi government helping them to build their capacity and develop their uh, let's say tools uh, in their crisis management Uh, capacities and the also the civil defense let's say approach to the reality uh, in, in in different ways we are uh, it's, uh, we have been in partnership with our Iraqi colleagues for two years now and uh, we are entering the third year the third year uh, of uh, the operation phase of uh, of this uh, let's say a memorandum of understanding And uh, it's my first time uh, working in Iraq. Originally, my parents are from from Iraq. Uh, they are diaspora Iraqis since the 70s. And uh, I have been working for the Swedish government and for the Swedish Red Cross for the past nine years or so. 
Gabriel, could you tell us more about your um, commitment in the humanitarian field? I would like to know what triggers you, um, your commitment to help others. Uh, I think it's a, a self-healing process. Uh, I had a very safe and secure and uh, pleasant childhood. However, by the age of 10, it was my first experience with war as my parents decided to move to Iraq uh, after the Iraq-Iran war. And then we came to Iraq and then we got trapped here under the Gulf War. So I have experienced the 1991 Gulf War first-handedly as a, a 10 years old kid here in, in, in Baghdad. And that experience gave me the, the feeling that I saw family and friends and neighbors who are really struggling and really needed the help. I have by the, that time already as a, as a, as a teenager and in the years after the Gulf War and before we, we left Iraq again, I have seen different international organizations and representatives of the international community working in Iraq on all sorts of programs. So rather early on, I learned which ones were really trying to help and which ones had a political agenda and which ones had a humanitarian agenda. And then slowly, slowly build up that knowledge. And then when uh, I moved to Sweden about 21 years ago, it was among the first things I looked for is to volunteer. And uh, I identified my core values and principles with the, the movement of the Red Cross. So I was active within the Swedish Red Cross uh, volunteer corps uh, in Stockholm and sorry, in Gothenburg on the on the west coast of Sweden. I started as a volunteer and then I became a leader of, of a group of volunteers visiting the uh, Anna Combined Children uh, facilities in order to help these uh, youngsters, uh, both men, uh, boys and girls, to, to, to understand the Swedish system and to understand the potential they have in themselves and uh, to have a, a better understanding of the Swedish society. And from there, I did my, after graduation, I did my internship at the Swedish Red Cross HQ. And after that, I went on to work for the Swedish Foreign Office and then for back to the Swedish Red Cross, seconded to the ICRC in Geneva, which I worked for for the past six years or so. So that is, uh, and now uh, uh, since February, I left my latest mission with the with the ICRC in Libya and joined the Swedish Civil Contingencies Agency uh, under the supervision of the Minister of Justice as the head of operation here in Iraq. Um, as you mentioned, Gabriel, over the last five years, you have been posted in high-risk countries. I guess you face a difficult situation. How did you cope with this uh, challenging situation? Well, we always work in these environments, which is highly infected. The, the best metaphor or like anecdote you can have, at least from the, from the Red Cross perspective, which I know best and I, I think it, it, it touched me to my core, we are the kind of firefighters. I mean, when you call the fire brigades and tell them there is a fire in the house, you will, they will come with the fire truck. And while they are trying to manage the situation and extinguish the fire, 
they are focused on what's happening at hands and it's uh, they're trying to protect themselves with their gear with their masks with their jackets with their gloves and so on and helmets in order to to manage the fire now that parallel to us working in the humanitarian field i mean it's something similar when we are there we are focused on what's happening in gaza what's happening in yemen the suffering of the people how you deal with it is just to focus, um, I mean, which is a double-edged sword, is to focus more on the work. The more good you do, the more difference you do, the better useful you are during those five to six weeks until you get your R&R. Thank you, Gabriel. I would just like to compliment uh, to your last uh, sentence for better understanding for the audience. So as you say, you're allowed to stay for a maximum period of time, six weeks in your case in Baghdad, before returning to your home country for a break. Uh, my next question to you is like, uh, I guess humanitarian organization you work with invest into mental health uh, prevention and support for the staff. The risk for burnout is, is, is known to be high in your profession. Uh, could you tell us what type of preparation did you receive before going to the field and also when you're in the field? Do you have any recommendation to make from your, your own experience? I think organizations uh, try. There are efforts uh, improving more now. I see efforts being taken place by different organizations who send staff to hardship uh, duty stations into focusing on mental health and how you can cope with the frustration, with the uh, uh, Sometimes the limitation of access, the, the probably the deteriorating humanitarian situation in different places we serve at. And it is better now maybe than 10 years ago. However, if it's up to standards, I don't know. And I hope that the more we talk about it, the more organizations will pay attention. It comes with a job that you will be tired, you will be mentally exhausted, sometimes more than physically, because... Again, the environment do affect you. We are, as a human beings, directly or indirectly, we get affected by, by our environment. And that affects probably mentally, which doesn't show signs very soon, but it accumulates until a point that you cannot take it anymore. And there off you have the cases of burnout uh, in this sector or in this uh, profession uh preparation well we do speak about it but it's also hard because those who are training you or preparing you during your briefings are not always people have who have been to a hardship duty station for an extended period of time it's very good to have a chat with a colleague who is the mental health advisor to uh, organization x for an hour prior to your deployment. But it's sometimes also, and I understand it will be more academic and it will be on, on the theory much more than on the, the actual context. So they will tell you to uphold a, a good routine, take care of your health, uh, avoid dehydration, uh, practice yoga, mindfulness. If there is a gym, good. If you can walk around the compound, very good. All these tricks and advices, which is very good and very important. But many times you have these colleagues who have not been there and advising on something, they approach it from an academic and from a theoretical perspective. It would make 
a lot of difference if the colleague who is briefing me on my mental health preparation ahead of a deployment knows the context or knows the culture and can give me or give us who are going out to a duty station for a year an embedded understanding if he or she have been to this duty station and spent a couple of rotations doing what they are advising us to do, that will bring the substance and that will bring the, the advice to a totally different level. There is this dialogue and your mental health colleague is usually sitting in the regional office. So if you are working in Somalia, you will have your colleague sitting in, 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 in Nairobi, uh, which is a couple of countries away. And you have, of course, you can have, upon request, you can have an hour of Skype call with your colleague to get the support you need. But then actually, in the end of the day, I haven't seen statistics about how many really reach out to these regional mental health advisors working for these or our organizations, which uh, work on a large scale with hundreds of expats in each delegation, who are all going to call this one person who is sitting in the regional office and take from his or her time a half an hour or an hour in case you have a mental health. Uh, I mean, you need you need feedback and reflections on, on your mental health and how you're doing that. Currently, I'm working for, for the Swedish government who provided me with a good mental health briefing before the mission. And now, just a week ago, she already herself took the initiative and she marked that Okay, you have been with us for four months. You have done a month in the field. She reached out and asked, how is it going? How it's feeling? Uh, do I need support? Uh, what's my experience? And it happened to be she's a former colleague from the ICRC time, which now is also working for the Swedish government. So and we know each other, which made the whole thing way easier because we understand each other on a different level. We both have met in the field. Uh, I know her from a couple of years ago. But other colleagues who are doing similar job elsewhere, maybe they don't have the same luxury I have today, uh, knowing my colleagues from earlier and having her so proactively following up on me. So they're off. Uh, it's good to highlight mental health and uh, approaching mental health proactively. But then you will need to have resources, which not maybe always donors are very keen on allocating donor dollars on mental health for expats instead of channeling that donor dollar to the beneficiaries and victims of war. Yes, Gabriel, you mentioned the importance of good preparation and follow-up by mental health experts from your own organization. I know as well from my own experience in the field that support from colleagues is also important. Could you tell us your own, um, could you share with us your own experience with colleagues? So there, I mean, uh, the Red Cross, the, especially the ICRC, which 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 I have worked for mostly, you have a very proper briefings prior to engaging and arriving at your duty station, and you have a debriefing once you are out. There, due to the dynamics and due to the environment, again, we work so tightly together. You create your small clusters of colleagues who is in a very short of time, very short time, due to the environment, the way we live, the issues we manage, we get very, very close and very tight together. They become your 
catalysator. They become the, the, the place, the safe place for you to talk much more than your professional, well-equipped mental health professional colleague who's sitting maybe, again, a couple of countries away or at HQ in Geneva. Throughout my experience in my missions, which all were high-risk and hardship duty stations, I found experience, feedback, mental health support, emotional support, uh, advice and colloquial solidarity within my colleagues who are going through the same thing. And we went on together figuring things out more than the professional help, even though the organization did provide professional help, but you end up talking to those who are closest to you, who you really know, and you know that you talk to them in confidence, you know that they are going through the same thing, and you have a bond because you go through the situation, figuring it out together. Um, I have another question about preparation. Do you have any topics you would like to learn or to be trained to better perform not only as a colleague, but as well as a member of a team on the ground? If you go to a hardship place, you know it's somewhat destructive, but you're trying to remedy the destructiveness of it by saying that I will, I will contribute, I will do something good, and hopefully I will be coming out of it proving to myself and to my organizations that I managed to help somebody. In that process, I would learn to, now I would love to learn more and better how I can manage that, doing, achieving my objectives and not hurting myself to the point that I get burned out or I get the cowboy syndrome. You have a lot of our colleagues starting acting like cowboys. Uh, oh, nobody went to that city. I will take the convoy to that city. Oh, nobody managed to get to, to that village to deliver insulin in two years because it's a high-risk environment. I will do it. And then you have, and then bringing the threshold higher and higher, putting themselves and their colleagues in harm ways. So that is something you can always train people at, get help in order for them to prepare themselves mentally which will reflect on their operational approach on how to manage risk and to be better at conducting operations with not putting yourself or your colleagues either in a mental health uh, crisis nor in a security crisis. With a forecast indicating an increase in humanitarian needs across the globe, more colleagues will need to approach their careers in a more healthy and sustainable way. What would be your key recommendation to, to these colleagues? Uh, we are embarking on the post-COVID times. And post-COVID times will be a lot of reports now saying that it will be rather uh, an intense period of time across the globe. And uh, not the least in, in places where it's suffering from a, a chronic, let's say, yeah, uh, increased instability, both economically, security, uh, environmentally, more and more violence is the monopoly of violence. And in, in a lot of these places where we work is not in, in one place under the, the supervision of the state. So there is more going to happen 
uh, unfortunately, and it will be it. We will need to engage more uh, in, in in many places, and those places, the number of those places is the curve is pointing up. Sadly, preparedness. I mean, it's noble to be to have this dream about embarking on a on a career out in the world, working for MSF or working for ICRC or working for the European Union or. Uh, a lot of the aid organizations who are doing a great job trying to save lives and trying to improve the livelihood, elevate suffering in the field in these war zones and in these countries, which is suffering from all what we mentioned earlier. So allow yourself to read more about where you're going. Speak to people who have been there and try to really to get the information needed about the culture about the codes yeah i mean remember that you are there for a very short period of time no matter if it's a year or two or five or ten it's very short period of time because these countries these places have existed for a couple of thousands of years without you there to seek help when you when you feel tired when you feel down because you will it's not a matter of if you will feel tired or if you feel weak you will feel tired and it's normal to feel weak and you will be a better person and you will do a better job if you reach out to get some help because that's only going to make you last longer if you really burn for this and it's it's something close to your heart and you're doing it because you believe in the core values of the humanitarian worker the more help you get, the longer you can do it, the better you are at your job. The less help you get, the shorter time you will do it, the worse you will get at doing your job. That's the sum of my experience. I do believe mental health concerns all staff, whether they are expat or resident. What type of support do resident colleagues receive? There you have also the resilience I have experienced that I find the Yemenites and the Gazawis and the Libyans are way more resilient than people back home in Stockholm, if I compare, which is something I learned. I didn't know. I thought like uh, I'm, I'm a very proud Swede and I think we have a very good country with a very good system, with a, with a social net, which, uh, uh, which captures me whenever I fall which is very good. But on the other hand, are, do we have the same definition of resilience compared to those who have lived under a very intense circumstances for an extended period of time? I don't think so. But on the other hand, I think the problems faced by our local communities back home in Stockholm or in Copenhagen or in Oslo are very different to those challenges my colleagues resident colleagues in Libya or in Yemen faces. They have access to, to mental health counseling, but there again, it's a, it's a cultural thing. Sometimes uh, you have, uh, I, I worked only in, in, in the Middle East uh, and in the Middle East as a region, uh, mental health issues are at sometimes depending on the social background you come from and what academic background and your context and your family and your neighborhood and your environment, sometimes it's taboo to talk about them. Uh, as it is sometimes in, in certain places in Stockholm. I'm not saying that it's it's more a human culture than it has with ethnicity. But having that been said, our local staff are more uh, 
concerned about losing their jobs for uh, maybe thinking that if I share my mental health issues or if I seek help for for being mentally exhausted or drained or burned out, I might lose this job. And on one resident staff salary, they have two, three or five households open and kids are going to school on one salary because jobs are so scatter to find. However, I have seen in the ICRC uh, colleagues who have uttered that they are mentally exhausted after a, a round of crises and they have been taken care of. They stayed and they worked and they have the ICRC listened and gave them new job descriptions or made them uh, stop working with, which something I'm really proud that the ICRC did. So you told me, Gabriel, that you suffered from a burnout some time ago. I would like to know now what is your relation uh, regarding mental health since your first experience as a humanitarian. Do you think you, have a, you are more aware and you give more attention to your uh, mental health? I'm learning. Uh, I don't know if I'm doing uh, much. I'm doing something. Uh, I'm doing better. Uh, I think I learned through my experiences that ignoring my mental health will not help. It will not go away. The tiredness, the fatigue, it will not go away. Uh, the experiences, the hardship we see unfolding, it will not go away. You need to talk about it. You need to process it in order to be able to move on and to be good to your parents, to your partner, to your children, to your friends, and then to your colleagues and to the beneficiaries. So I think I'm sharing more now. This is a, a living example. I'm doing this. I'm talking to you. If uh, you gave me this opportunity a couple of years ago, I might have shied away and said, no, but you know what? It's maybe I don't know. Uh, this time when I got asked, I, it didn't take me a long time to say yes, because I would like to see colleagues both who are junior and just joined our, our like team, our family, to dare to share, to say that they are tired, excuse me, to say that they are what they have seen in that village outside uh, Benghazi disturbed them. It was not nice. They wanted, they wished that they could do more, but they couldn't. It's good to talk about these things. It's good to talk to professionals who understand who they are, and they will probably need to talk to one, to two, or three until they land to talk to somebody who they really feel that is good to talk to them. Uh, currently, I do talk to, as I said, I got lucky with my employer today, and our mental health advisor is a former colleague from the ICRC time, and I have a very easy time talking to her. I know her, I know how she works, and I trust her, and our exchange is valuable to me. And that is another thing I'm doing. I hope every and each single one listening to us or will listen to us will find that colleague or professional and get that help because that will make them. It, it always feels very particular after a session of talking and reflecting. But I promise you, once you sleep on it and wake up the day after, you feel lighter, you feel energetic, as if your brains had a, a session of a workout which let a lot of toxic away and ready to, to approach the next day. My last question to you, Gabriel, is um, I often compare expatriation as a personal development adventure. 
that case, um, I would like to know what did you learn about yourself from this different expatriation? It makes me appreciate home even more, I think. I really appreciate my country. <laughs> it makes me appreciate my my society. I appreciate that I come from a country where we didn't engage in warfare for 200 years. It's one of the most peaceful countries on earth. I wish more countries will do the same. Uh, I know sometimes you don't have a choice, but if you do, always choose not to engage in violence because there is no winners in wars and violence. Everybody loses. I learned that about myself. I learned that I'm uh, no matter how much I would like to do more, I have limits I need to respect and I need to listen to my body. I need to listen to my brains. I need to listen to my feelings. I know that I don't right now. Sometimes I ignore the signals coming from my body or my brains or my feelings, but I'm learning and uh, I'm open to hear more and I'm open to take in more, more help. Uh, there is no let's say ego, I wouldn't probably won't let my ego stand in the way for me asking to, to get help or to ask how do you get help and why do you get help? When is a good time to get help? Because even that you will learn that sometimes it's, it, it is true that you don't have time right then and there to get help, but then you should not push it too long because the journey back to being normal or to feel good it will be longer. So you will need to have that on mind. The longer you wait getting help, the longer it takes you to feel good again. Thank you very much, um, Gabriel, for sharing your personal story. I really enjoy listening to your, um, to your useful guidance uh, built on your own experience. And I'm sure it's a, a valuable piece of advice for colleagues listening uh, to, the, um, to this interview. So thank you very much for this, uh, Gabriel. Thank you so much for having me. And I really hope that I had anything useful or good for, for the colleagues to hear. And uh, they will have their own experiences and they will have their own stories to tell. But I hope they can walk away after listening to us with, uh, with an idea of, of maybe not waiting too long to, to open up and to share what they're going through, as it will definitely benefit them. Gabrielle nous a parlé ici de son histoire personnelle et de ses valeurs qui sont au cœur de son métier de professionnel humanitaire qui l'affectionne particulièrement. Depuis son engagement sur le terrain il y a cinq ans, il nous fait part de son évolution sur les questions de santé mentale. Il confirme le risque élevé d'épuisement professionnel dans cette profession. Il a lui-même connu ses symptômes. Pour lui, il est important de ne pas attendre pour parler de ses difficultés en termes de santé mentale ne pas attendre pour en faire part à ses collègues et à des professionnels de la santé mentale là où on travaille. Il a appris à dépasser ce tabou, il n'y a pas de faiblesse à en parler, au contraire, montrer sa vulnérabilité est signe de courage. Admettre qu'on en a besoin d'aide est un premier pas pour accomplir au mieux son travail d'humanitaire sur le terrain. Il met également en avant la force et la justesse du soutien émotionnel donné par les collègues de terrain. Il plaide également pour davantage de ressources et de moyens affectés à l'accompagnement psychologique des professionnels humanitaires. Si vous voulez continuer à discuter et échanger sur ces questions d'accompagnement, vous pouvez contacter directement Gabriel Carson sur son compte LinkedIn at Gabriel Carson. Merci beaucoup d'avoir écouté ce nouvel épisode de Pacify Your Mind. 
J'espère qu'il vous inspirera dans votre réflexion où que vous soyez. N'hésitez pas à le partager autour de vous, à vous abonner ou à mettre une étoile sur Apple Podcast si vous avez aimé. Cela m'encourage énormément dans ma démarche. Retrouvez l'initiative Passive Mind sur mes comptes at AdlinTorCall, LinkedIn et Instagram. À très vite Thank you.